0: The Terrifying Lies Podcast, with music and stories by Craig Naibo. Greetings, and welcome back to the Terrifying Lies Podcast. Well, we've hit the double digits. This is Season 1, Episode 10. How you liking the show so far? Yeah, this isn't a two-way platform, but it could be. Feel free to contact me with any show feedback or just to become friends. You can email me at craiglnaibo at gmail.com. You can friend me on Facebook. You can contact me through the Facebook Terrifying Lies page. There are manifold ways that we can become friends. Coming up on Friday, September 9th, I and my friends are hosting our biggest event of the year. It's called the Gangrene Comedy Festival. We've been doing this yearly show for the past 20 years or so. It's pretty much the strangest thing you've ever seen on the stage. Each year, the event takes on a new theme. We've done Esquivel. We've done Outer Space. We've done Pirates. We even did a Lawrence Welk tribute show. There was a little People Kiss cover band. We had a motorcycle jump right on stage one time. We had tap-dancing grandmas. We had a rootin' tootin' cowboy who threw knives and shot water balloons over the crowd. We had a luchador wrestling match. All this happened on the same stage over the span of the past two decades. This year, we're going spaghetti western. The Rust Monster Band, my band, will be playing. I and some of the other members of the band have arranged an excellent selection of Ennio Morricone tunes, you know the good the bad and the ugly and a few originals we've enlisted some help and plan to put a 20 piece band on the stage including strings brass and percussion sections it's going to be epic tickets are 15 bucks pretty cheap for a show of this caliber you can pick them up at eventbright/ganggreen-film-festival you can also pick up tickets at davisarts.org the show will feature far more than the rust monster band There'll be hilarious short films, improv comedians, comic poetry, maybe some stand-up. It's a blast. Our goal? Make you laugh as hard as you can for as long as you can. Believe me, it can get loud. I hope to see you there on Friday, September 9th, 2022, at the Ed Canley Amphitheater in Layton, Utah. Show starts promptly at 7 p.m. Today's story spins out of a writing course I put together many years ago. I composed a series of 20 articles that took you from zero to writing hero. I've since lost the articles, but the story remains. As part of the program, I planned to write a novel right before your eyes. Along with an article about sketching characters, I sketched the main character from this story. When it came to plotting, I plotted this story. At one point during the course, I suggested you audition a character and world by writing a short story. This story is my audition piece in the world of a plumber named Gus. It's a standalone short story, but should I ever want to, I could expand it into a novel. Some of the work is already done. That isn't likely, but at least I came away from Gus's world with a pretty fun piece. I now present The Integrity of Gus the Plumber. Pick up a copy of the new novel by Craig Naibo, Allied Zombies for Peace, the darkest hour in undead civil rights history. This story covers the violent 42-minute time period that took place on November 11, 1968, known as the Veterans Day Parade Massacre. Violence explodes when a shot is fired during the 1968 Veterans Day Parade in Columbus, Ohio. Not knowing who pulled the trigger, rivaling factions, the Allied Zombies for Peace, and the Ku Klux Klan turn on each other in a vicious flurry of urban combat. Other groups join the fight, including the Vietnam War veterans a peace-loving group of hippies who call themselves the new revolutionaries for peace and love, and veterans of World War I. You can pick up a copy of Allied Zombies for Peace at Amazon.com or any other bookseller. For an autographed copy, order yours directly from CraigNybo.com. Gus, a good plumber by any standard, usually dealt in pipes, fittings, and congested clogs, not in contending with creatures from alternate universes. When Gus used his number six razor to cut a hole in the drywall behind Mrs. Brickwell's clogged kitchen sink, he expected to see acorn head supply tubes, a copper tailpiece, and, he hoped, a swivel pea trap. The trickiest part of installing a sink and faucet is getting the drain right. Gus had said over dinner to his girlfriend, Deirdre, the night before, that's where a swivel pea trap really earns its keep. As he made a circular cut in the drywall using a swivel bracket, he thought about the way Deirdre had slurped up her spaghetti the night before, about how it had smacked her upper lip and had left a dab of sauce in the hollow just under her nose. He hadn't told her about the little stain. The small imperfection was endearing to him. Gus's blade sliced easily through the wall. The drywall had been bathed in leaking water far too often to maintain its original strength. He drew a flathead screwdriver from a loop in his utility belt and stuck it into the circular groove to work the piece free. Ring, ring. Dad blammit, he said. He dropped the screwdriver and fumbled for his cell phone. He checked the caller ID. It was Deirdre. He flipped the phone open and put it to his ear. Hey, sugar bomb. I was just thinking about you. What you doing? I thought we were on for lunch, she said. Gus imagined her holding a phone to her ear, a small dab of marinara sauce on her lip. I'm on the job, Peach. I don't think it's going to happen. And I had my hopes up, too. Tell you what, let me put on my Bluetooth and I'll talk you through how to fix a leaky sink. That sounds like fun. Gus rifled through his toolbox until he found the small ear apparatus he had bought a couple of weeks ago. He hated wearing it. The thing made him feel like he was on the bridge of the Enterprise. He screwed it into his ear and sat his phone down on the counter. Can you hear me, sugar bum? Loud and clear. Gus picked up a flathead screwdriver and pushed its tip back into the circle cut he had made in the drywall. I would have gotten right over there, except for Mrs. Brickwell's such a sweetheart. Couldn't just leave her in the lurch. He thumped the back of the screwdriver with the hammer of his fist. It penetrated the last millimeter of uncut drywall. He began working the screwdriver around the cut. We still on for dinner and a movie? Deirdre asked. You bet your sweet apple. He finished working the screwdriver around the cut and pried back. The drywall disc fell into his hand. What the? Gus squinted and gazed through the hole. What is it? There's nothing under Mrs. Brickwell's sink. Not so much as a faucet, supply tube, or a waistline. I don't want to talk about plumbing. We always talk about plumbing. Sorry, Peach. It's just that I'm stimmied here. Gus fumbled through his toolbox for a small LED headlight. He snapped the elastic band over his head, straightened his horn-rimmed glasses, which made his eyes look larger than they actually were, and clicked on the juice. He shined the lime-colored light into the hole and leaned up close. It seemed he had cut into some kind of cavern. Darkness extended back as far as his light could penetrate dank air squalid and swampy smelling stuff oozed from the opening you still there yeah i'm here i got something real strange going on sugar mom what it's like some kind of uh, alternate universe hooked right up here under mrs brickwell's sink that's impossible i don't know I've seen a lot of strange stuff on the job lately i can't rule anything out gus rifled through his toolbox until he found a short sickle-shaped knife he usually used to remove silicone caulking He cut away at the little opening, making it large enough for his head. He cursed as pieces of drywall fell into the cabinet. Cleanup would be a bear. He'd have to go out to his utility truck and get a wall patch and spackle. He'd probably take a bath on this job, but the truth was, he hadn't found the leak yet. He hadn't even seen so much as a bushing or a three-quarter-inch nipple. He crouched on all fours and rocked forward like a bloodhound pointing out a felled goose. He pushed his cinder-block-sized head through the hole and almost puked at the rancor that met him. He remembered from back when he was a boy. Screech, his cat, had gone missing. His mother had told him that Screech had gone to kitty heaven and that Gus should just be happy for the little tabby. But Gus knew better. Screech had probably been hit by a truck and tossed to the side of the road like a dirty towel. A few days later, when the smell of rotting flesh rose from under the porch, Gus had belly-slid under the slats to investigate. There was Screech, bloated and crawling with flies. The smell inside the hole behind Mrs. Brickman's sink reminded Gus of what he had smelled when he had found Screech. What's going on? I can't find any plumbing at all. Not even a slip nut or a strainer basket. I'm afraid I'm going to have to bring this to Mrs. Brickwell's attention. Gus heard something below. A splash, slurpy and reverberating. He trained the beam of limelight from his headlamp downward towards the sound. Something shifted, wet and churning. He squinted trying to adjust his eyes to the lack of light. Something touched him on the forehead. A sleek finger. The sensation reminded him of seaweed washing up against his skin. Before he could pull free from the hole, a tentacle closed around his neck, cinching his esophagus to a pencil-sized tube. With both hands, he clenched down on the writhing mass. It felt about as thick as a human thigh, its surface slick and bumpy, like the body of a snake. Gus, are you all right? Deirdre's voice said through the earpiece. He tried to say something, but the creature had choked off his ability to speak. The light from his headlight flicked back and forth as he struggled, kicking and fighting for air. The beam passed over something else. A mouth, perhaps? Round? More like a beak than a maw. Gus realized that he still had the sickle-shaped knife in his hand. He slashed at the tentacle. He felt its grip ease more with each cut. A guttural hiss slurped out of the beak, which moved towards Gus's head. With a long, lengthwise slash, Gus finally pulled free. He jerked backward hard enough to fall on his butt out of the sink cabinet altogether. What's going on? Deirdre asked. I think I've found Mrs. Brickwell's problem. Chattering and hissing erupted from beneath the sink. The tip of a wounded tentacle shot out from the darkness and slammed the cupboard door wide open. Gus crab-crawled away from the tentacle until his back pressed against the opposite wall. He trained his light on the hole he had cut. The creature's mouth appeared a beak at the end of a stalk that was about the size of a one-and-a-half-inch Schedule 40 PVC drain pipe. The beak opened and shut, hissing and spitting clear liquid. Gus stood up, putting his hands on his hips and watching the tentacle slurp and curl back and forth across the kitchen floor, leaving trails of guck and spiderweb slime. He scratched the graying hair at his temple, then stroked his unshaven chin. An idea hit him. He wheeled around and walked out of Mrs. Brickman's house. As he moved along the concrete path that split Mrs. Brickman's yard, he spotted Mr. Updike, the nice old man who lived next door. Mr. Updike sat on a brand new John Deere GX85 riding mower. With a lawn of less than 2,000 square feet, Gus figured Mr. Updike probably didn't need a big mower. But Mr. Updike was getting a little long in the tooth. Maybe he no longer had the strength for a push mower. Seeing Gus, Mr. Updike smiled and shut down the big machine. I thought that was your truck. Mr. Updike said, nodding towards Gus's utility vehicle. Mrs. Brickman's still having trouble with her pipes? Seems so. Is that Mr. Updike? Deirdre said in Gus's ear. Say hello for me, why don't you? Deirdre says hello. Mr. Updike smiled, bearing a set of tobacco-stained veneers. She's a wonderful catch, Gus. Don't let her get away. I don't plan to. Deirdre giggled in Gus's ear. Gus raised the back hatch of his utility truck and opened a drawer of fasteners and clamps. That a new grass whacker? She's a beaut. Got a bad knee from the war, you know. I expect I won't be walking at all in the next piece. Sorry to hear that. Gus took a few items from the drawer, then, as an afterthought, drew a long squeegee from a PVC pipe shaft that he had bolted to the side of his truck. He stared back at the path towards Mrs. Brickman's front door. Mrs. Brickman home? Mr. Updike asked. Nope, but I expect to see her any minute. You know, when you get that fixed, I was wondering if you might come over to my place. I've been having some problems with my sump pump. She spits up sometimes, and I swear I can hear something down there. Rats, I figure. Could be rats. Could be something else, Gus said. Tell you what, when I finish up here, I'll stop by and take a gander. You're a gentleman. Gus stepped back into the kitchen. The tentacle writhed and jittered, a mindless organ. The thing must have smacked against the cupboard of dishes while Gus was talking to Mr. Updike. Glass and silver littered the floor, scattered like jacks across the full wood laminate. He hoped he wasn't looking at the remains of Mrs. Brickman's china. She'd be furious. He placed the items he had brought from the truck on a counter, then finagled the long squeegee through the kitchen entrance. He held the squeegee, shaft side up, and watched the tentacle writhe, waiting for the right opportunity to act. The tentacle thwacked back and forth, slamming against counters and cupboards. It back a food processor that sat on one of the countertops. The appliance soared across the kitchen and crunched into a wall clock shaped like an owl, its eyes tick-tocking back and forth from corner to corner. Both devices crashed to the floor, ruined. After a prolonged fit, the tentacle settled down. Gus stomped down hard, landing with his steel-toed waffle stomper on the tip of the leathery mass. The little beak Still poking out of the hole Gus had cut beneath the sink, chattered and hissed. The tentacle jerked left and right, trying to free itself from the rubber sole of Gus's boot. Gus positioned the squeegee over a larger section of the writhing appendage and forced it down. He worked the squeegee handle up against the kitchen ceiling and trapped the feeler under the rubber blade. With two good pounds of his forearm, Gus fixed the shaft in place thought we'd go out for Chinese tonight, Deirdre said. You picked the restaurant last night and as much as I like Italian, you can't do better than a plate of Kung Pao pork. Sounds peachy to me. Gus said, picking up the items he had brought from the utility truck and moving across the kitchen to the sink. He crouched down and gazed at the beak, still screeching and spitting through the drywall hole. He figured the beak had about a two and a half inch span at its most open position. He took a pair of reverse pliers from his toolbox and adjusted them to their most open setting. After two unsuccessful jabs, he snagged the beak with the pliers and clamped down, forcing the thing to open up like a snapdragon. He reached to where he had put the items he had brought from the truck and picked up an 18-inch length of two and inch Schedule 40 PVC. Careful not to release his hold on the pliers, he pushed the plastic pipe into the creature's open snapper. It screeched again and pissed a yellowish liquid into the pipe, but it remained otherwise motionless under the grip of Gus's locked pliers. I thought we'd go to the Classics Theater. They're showing Citizen Kane tonight. You know, it's supposed to be the best movie of all time, Deirdre said. Orson Wells made that flicker, didn't he? Gus slid a two and a half inch trap adapter and slip nut along the Schedule 40 PVC and over the struggling beak. He twisted the slip nut, cinching down the threads. The hard, bony lips of the beak cracked under the strain, going flat beneath the trap adapter. Orson Wells, that's right, Deirdre said. Didn't he also write that radio drama that terrified everyone into thinking aliens were attacking? That was H. G. Wells, Deirdre said with a chuckle. I always get those two mixed up. Gus grabbed the end of the 18 and a half inch Schedule 40 with one hand and unlocked the reversible pliers. Though the beak fought and sputtered, it couldn't free itself from the girth of the pipe, which now acted as a shaft, straight down the creature's throat. Mrs. Brickman, you're going to owe me a big tip for this one. What was that? Deirdre asked. Nothing, sugar bomb. Just talking to myself. Gus picked up a metal can of extra-strength draino crystals. He worked the lid off with his thumb and dumped the entire bottle down the pipe in one pole. A crackling sound came up through the pipe, followed by a shrill whine. Gus felt a little bad for the creature, but Mrs. Brickman's interests had to come first. The creature buckled and jerked. Gus had to drop the empty Drano can to clamp down tight on the pipe with both hands in order to keep the beak from pulling free and wreaking havoc on the interior finish of the sink cabinet. The tentacle, lying across the kitchen floor, flexed and buckled afresh, still trapped under the lodged squeegee. It writhed back and forth, looping and curling. The squeegee slipped a few inches. Gus gasped. He reached to try and reset the squeegee, but he couldn't both hold the pipe and reach the squeegee shaft at the same time. "'Maybe we should try Vietnamese instead of Chinese,' Deirdre said. "'It's all the same to me!' The tentacle recoiled back, then shot forward with adrenal force. The squeegee slipped free and clattered to the laminate floor. The feeler back reached towards Gus. He fell on his butt, still holding onto the pipe, and snatched up a little sickle knife. He slashed at the tentacle as it ducked and bobbed, trying to clamp down on him. Twice he gashed the slithering limb. It withdrew, regrouped, then came at him again.' There's a world of difference between Chinese and Vietnamese food, Deirdre said. A new place just opened up downtown called Duck Dao. I hear they serve an excellent Hu Tio Kyo. Hu what? Gus said, the tip of the tentacle whipped down and grappled onto his ankle. He grimaced as the feeler cinched down on his boot. He slashed at it with his knife. Its grip loosened as he inflicted a half a dozen wounds. Just when he thought he could pull free, the tentacle cinched down again. Its hold shot a stabbing pain up his shin bone to his knee. He winced. It's a braised rice noodle soup dish, Deirdre said. Sounds good as anything, Peach. I'd be happy with a chili burger, though. A white milky liquid oozed from the mouth of the pipe. The syrupy substance ran over Gus's hand, causing a recent nick in his knuckle to burn. Probably a mixture of Drano and alien stomach bile, Gus thought. He repositioned the pipe in his hand to avoid the acidic syrup. While his attention was diverted to handling the creature's snapper, the tentacle clamped down on his ankle. Gus yelped in pain. The sinewy feeler yanked him upward, away from the sink. His head and shoulder blades slammed into the ceiling, leaving a deep indention in the drywall. The impact sent bits of dried paint and dust curling to the floor. Gus's senses reeled for a moment as the tentacle whipped his body left and right, like a damp towel. Then, the feeler settled, as if its strength had ebbed. It lowered Gus down within reaching distance of the floor. He twisted and kicked, trying to free his ankle from the thing's grip. Just when he thought he would break free, the tentacle buckled upward for a last throw. It overwhipped Gus's heft and released him, the zenith of its swing. Gus flew through the kitchen entrance into the living room, spinning, disjointed. His glasses snapped off his face and spun away. Gus couldn't see without his specks. He squinted, trying to make out the water-colored misshapes of the room around him trying to best position himself for impact, he collided against the front door of Mrs. Brickman's house and crumpled into a pile on the shag carpet. What happened? Did you drop the phone? Deirdre's tinny voice asked. Gus looked himself over. Other than a torn pair of bitalls and a king-sized goose egg on the back of his skull, everything checked out. No broken bones. No open lacerations. "'Sorry, sugar bomb. Just let the job get away from me for a second. The front door pushed against him. Someone was trying to open it. Gus worked himself up to his feet, rubbing the back of his head. Mrs. Brickman came in from the sun, holding a half-dozen plastic bags of groceries. Her gray hair sprayed into an updo and covered by a plastic bonnet. She smiled at Gus, then noticed the long tentacle that lay across her newly washed living room carpet. "'Oh, dear!' The Terrifying Lies Podcast will return after this short commercial break. Welcome back to the Terrifying Lies Podcast. Let me help you with your groceries. Gus took the plastic bags from Mrs. Brickman and led her into the kitchen. Is this what was clogging my sink? Mrs. Brickman asked pointing down at the tentacle. Truth is, I couldn't even get to the pipes. You have some kind of alternate universe under your sink. Could be a string theory thing. Might even be hell. I'm not sure. What is this creature? Some kind of octopus? Mrs. Brickman crouched down and poked at the limp feeler with a bony finger. Gus scratched his head. Not sure. I'd say it's pretty much unnameable. If you want, I could call Animal Control. They'd probably come by and collect it. I could come back tomorrow and take another gander at your sink. Oh, that's gracious of you, Mrs. Brickman said. Is that Mrs. Brickman? Deirdre asked. She just walked in, Gus said. Oh, she's the sweetest thing. Say hello for me. Who are you talking to? Mrs. Brickman asked. It's Deirdre. She says hello. Mrs. Brickman smiled and patted Gus on the back of the hand. You need to marry that girl. That's what I say. Gus smiled, blood flooding his cheeks. Gus checked his watch as he loaded his tools back into the back of his utility truck. It was 4.30. He'd have to hurry home, shower, and change if he hoped to pick up Deirdre in time for dinner. He waved at Mr. Updike, who was just finishing up his front lawn. The old man looked almost regal sitting atop of his new John Deere riding mower. Mr. Updike smiled and waved back. As Gus got into his utility truck, he thought about Mrs. Brickman's advice. He thought he might take her up on it. After all, a Vietnamese restaurant seemed like as good a place as any to pop the big question. This has been the Integrity of Gus the Plumber. Written and performed by Craig Nibo. For today's song, I'm going to give you something old and not as well produced or polished. Up to this moment, I haven't released this song anywhere. But you're my friends, so I'm going to let you in on it. Many years ago, I was outdoors waiting for the Kaysville City's Fourth of July fireworks show to begin. For those of you who live in Kaysville, you know that Independence Day is a big deal around here. Well, we Nibos always treated the Fourth like a family reunion, and a lot of extended family were around. I remember lying on a blanket reading It by Stephen King. My uncle came up to me and asked about the book in an odd way. He said, Oh, Stephen King, huh? Doesn't he write fiction? I told my uncle that King indeed wrote fiction. My uncle came back with about the biggest reach I can imagine. He said, You know, like Stephen King, James A. Michener also writes fiction. He wrote a book called The Source. If you like fiction, and I can see you do because you are reading Stephen King, who writes fiction, you would also like the fiction written by James A. Michener. Have you read The Source? Well, this was an extreme reach because I was reading It, James A. Michener's book, The Source, is an epic historical fiction novel about the Jews from literally the dawn of man until the moment Michener stopped writing the book. Later, I told my brothers about this story. We all laughed. You gotta know, I love my uncle. He's a great guy. He was just trying to fire up a conversation, and I always like having conversations with him because he's extremely interesting and cool. Well, I and My Brothers, being I and My Brothers, decided it would be hilarious to compose and record a concept album based on James A. Michener's The Source. None of us had read or even heard of this better-than-1,000-page novel, but we found my conversation with my uncle so funny that it warranted an album-length joke. We made a set of rules every song had to at least have something to do with James A. Mitchener's The Source. Also, each song had to be at least 13 minutes long. This stems from our mutual amusement of self-indulgent, way-too-serious, prog-metal, epic pieces. We got to work. About a year later, we had it, The Source, a concept album by the made-up band name Talisman. And that's a story for another day. Now, I recorded this song a long time ago, at least 15 years. I'm a much better musician and producer now, but I think you might get a kick out of it. And I'd like to let you in on the joke. By the way, of my brothers, I'm the only one who actually read The Source. I loved it. It's an excellent piece of historical fiction. Timeless. I think you should read it too if you can find the time. I now give you The Source by talisman the six-day Middle East war echoes along a second front the diplomatic struggle at the United Nations Security Council a series of emotionally charged meetings keeps delegates debating on nearly around-the-clock basis Syrian ambassador George Advance toward a branch of the Jordan River to establish control of a strategically important water resource. He calls it systematic invasion. Soviet delegate Nikolai Fedorenko heaps abuse and lashing invective on both Israel and the United States in a blistering filibuster. we This has been the Terrifying Lies podcast. Please come again. You're welcome here.